Dan Mack is back, and this year she has sought out the best customer-centric thought leaders from around the world. Are you after practical, accessible, and customer-centric marketing? You're in the right place. Sit back and enjoy Dan's small business podcast. For more information, go to www.daniellemckinnis.com or visit www.mckinnismarketing.com.au. I'm really delighted to have Lynn on the show today. Um, Lynn has her own business in consulting Clear Action Biz and she is a thought leader in customer experience. So thanks for joining me, Lynn. Thank you, Danny. Um, when, can you just give me a little bit of a background as to how you came to do what you're doing today? Sure. Well, my first job after I got my master's degree was working in an industrial company and going to visit all the purchasing agents across the United States to find out how well we were doing. What was their perception of our products? What was their perception of our service and of our pricing and our relative quality to competitors? And by doing this in a face-to-face fashion, we were able to ask the questions pictorially where we enabled the, the customer to actually write on the diagrams and give us a lot more feedback than we normally would have gotten from a kind of static uh, five-scale questionnaire, that kind of thing. And what this morphed into was a uh, customer satisfaction task force because they were using these uh, surveys for their strategic planning. And they used that uh, information about our pricing and our competitive standing for strategic planning. And then they uh, launched a total quality management initiative. So this was a company called Sonogo Products, located in South Carolina, and they make packaging for all kinds of industries, including uh, the Pillsbury uh, dough. Uh, I don't know if you have that in Australia, but uh, mm-hmm. you know the old oil cans that you put oil in your your car, or, uh, okay. oil bottles, and all kinds of like caulking. If you're doing caulking on your uh, uh, bathroom counter or something like that. So um, anyway, from the Customer Satisfaction Task Force, this was back in 1989, I was able to go and visit lots of companies that were uh, either doing uh, customer satisfaction as manufacturers like we were, or they were um, doing consulting services and customer satisfaction. We invited several of those people to come to um, our task force since we were in South Carolina and kind of a rural place, and we learned a tremendous amount just in designing our approach. So from way back then, um, we began to improve our customer satisfaction, and then, if you notice that in the middle 1990s, customer relationship management became kind of the buzzword, Mm -hmm. and customer satisfaction kind of lost its cachet, and uh, total quality management was still practiced, but just not given as much limelight compared to CRM. And customer relationship management is a bit of a misnomer in terms of um, it turn, it's, it's actually more of a technology a database that enables your business to keep track of the interactions that you've had with your customers, the things that they ordered last time, the things that they said the last time you talked to them, and you're supposed to be able to build a relationship on that. However, it's primarily used by marketing departments and customer service departments to upsell and cross-sell to the customer. And so it's more of a revenue tool than it is an actual relationship tool. 
And then if you noticed in the, uh, the 2000s, uh, things morphed into experiential marketing. You noticed the very first books about customer experience by Baron uh, Schmidt. They were really not so much about customer experience as they were about creating an experience as an event or some kind of wow, delight thing that um, would maybe create a lot of word of mouth marketing. And so that became the watchword in the early 2000s. And I think since the mid-2000s, you started hearing the phrase customer experience, customer experience management, and people are thinking that that's disconnected from all of the previous things. But it's really not. It's really all the same. Mm -hmm. It's about finding out how the customers feel about things, figuring out how to make your, your, uh, your customers happier so they'll say good things about you and so you'll be able to sell more and uh, be able to hire more, have better budget, and keep your shareholders happy. Right. Well, I, I agree with you. I think that there's been lots of terms that have sort of been bandied around, and there is a bit of confusion around CRM, customer service. and case. So that was good for you to clarify that. But with my audience being small business, how do they actually take this on board in terms of um, you know, finding out more about their customers. And I guess the next point is once they find out, what do they do about it? Because I think that sometimes they do the first step, but they don't necessarily take it any further. You know, it really doesn't matter what kind of business you're in or what size of business you have. Customer experience is really not that mysterious. Everyone's a customer, so it's kind of crazy that we don't actually behave as businesses in the way that we would want to be treated as customers. And that's really the whole secret to it. In fact, I've listened to a few of your podcasts uh, that you've had recently, and um, they're pretty much saying the same thing. But if you put yourself in the customer's shoes and view everything that way and say, how would I like to be treated? Then that's really all it takes. So <clears throat> where do you start? You start with, um, just thinking about what would be natural in your personal relationships, a friend, your spouse, your dad, your child, whatever. If something wouldn't be natural for you to say or do to someone in a personal relationship, well, then that's probably not quite right for a customer relationship. Um, I've been in uh, marketing for many years in large companies and also, you know, in startup uh product lines for those companies. We were designing the product and trying to figure out, okay, what do we offer first so that we can get this out the door and uh, satisfy these customer needs? And then what would be the next revision and the next revision down the line? And it's amazing how many conversations we had that were pretty much self-serving. Mm. And this is not unique. No. <laughs> you know, how many things are you going to maybe put in the warranty or exclude from the warranty as an add-on price or something like that? And we were almost looking, always looking at it from our own perspective and secondarily from the customer's perspective. And the idea behind customer experience management is to flip that on its head. If you're going to be customer-focused or customer-centric, the customer has to be at the center of your decision-making. Not on the peripheral, not second in line, but first. Just like if you're married. You can't say that your spouse has to always come after you. If you're married, your spouse has to come first. Uh, at least they have to think that they're first, right? <laughs> and 
same thing with customers. Yeah. Well, absolutely. So I was thinking about particularly what you said with the product management um, side of things because often with a small business, they start their business because they're an expert in something and then they go out and, and do it. And so, um, and, you know, hopefully that meets a need. But to actually then go back and sit in the customer's shoes, um, I think it's difficult because they've, they've driven it from a product-centric or a service-centric point of view, not started their business necessarily to service a particular need. And I, I wonder what you thought about that because I think there'd be some businesses here that says, well, you know, that's fine, Lynn, but what am I going to do now that I'm actually in this business? I can't throw it out the window. Well, I can relate. I have a small business as well. Um, my consultancy is called Clear Action, and I started it because I have an expertise in a certain area that's quite unique. Yeah. There are very few people in the world who have a real good understanding of 101 ways to use what you get from a customer survey. So how do you um, then stand in the customer's shoes? Well, the thing that's been completely eye-opening for me and would be for anybody no matter if your business is new, small, large, old, whatever, is to, to listen to your customers, see what they're saying. Now, this can happen in a number of ways. There might be certain uh, trade shows or, and things like that you can go to to talk to customers face-to-face. There might be social media that you can be uh, tapping into to understand what's, what their hot buttons are. Uh, it might be that you ask if you could go and shadow your customers, uh, either in their home or in their business, for a short period of time to see how they use your stuff and be a fly on the wall. Don't don't be intrusive. Don't make it an interview. Just observe. Um, one thing that's been very helpful to me is I did a benchmarking study, which uh, asked my target audience what kinds of things they're struggling with, what kinds of things they're uh, doing well in the area where I have expertise and where they're funding things and so forth. And that was tremendously eye-opening because having come out of several companies where I did this for 20 years and then um, doing it for others, I kind of expected that there would be a certain level of sophistication a certain um, angle that people were taking on it. And it turned out that a lot of my assumptions weren't quite right and I had to do a lot of adjusting to that listening. Yeah, and I, I like how you've used the word assumption because I think it's just so prevalent that that we're making these assumptions all the time about our customers because we're not talking to them or, or more importantly, listening to what they really are saying. Um I was interested in also another tactic that I've spoken about in other surveys, which is this day in the life of the customer and mapping that out, those touch points. What do you think about doing doing that as an exercise? And is it still too insular or does it add some value because it is slightly removed from the customer? Okay, so what do you mean by being removed from the customer? Well, I'm just thinking, you know, when... Um, I've been in small businesses and we've mapped out, you know, from the first touch point that they might have had with us, be it website or, you know, walking in the store or whatever, to the last touch point that they might have. That's still, I guess, a little bit based on our assumption. I see. And I'm just wondering how that, because I'm seeing a lot of people writing about customer mapping and customer personas and 
Yeah, given what you've just said, you know, there is a little bit of distance between what we're doing and what actually might be happening. Well, that's why I really suggest not relying too much on your internal people mm. and your because that's still about your assumptions. It's about your world. Mm. What you're trying to do is break out of your world and get into the customer's world. And what's the truth is customers don't buy your stuff just because they want your stuff. They buy your stuff because they're trying to do something in their life or they're trying to do something in their business, and your stuff helps them to do that. So what you need to find out in any kind of research that you do, whether it's figuring out what kinds of survey questions you need to ask to monitor uh, whether you're hitting the nail on the head or not. You need to start off, or, or maybe you're trying to map out what is this journey that the customer experience comprises of and how do I really understand it. In any case, what you need to do is go right to the customer and observe them using your things. And um, now with some kinds of products and services, that's hard to do. But it's interesting how many different kinds of industries have successfully done this. The first time I heard about it was from, from Intuit. They make um, U.S. Um, tax products like TurboTax as well as Quicken, which is a, mm-hmm. a budgeting process. What is the uh, other uh, business? Yeah, like a cash flow tool for accounting. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so they have a lot of business products for small businesses. But what was so cool about them, they started um, probably in the 80s, and they went to the local um, like uh, community association of some type, you know, where there are people helping the people in the community. And they said, we want to uh, allow you to use our product, and we just want to observe you um, actually opening it and take it to your house or your office or wherever you're going to use it, open it. Uh, install it and start using it. We just want to sit and take notes and then we'll help you later. (laughs) But uh, we we want to just observe everything. Well, what you figure out from that is that it's not usually a standalone thing. The people were were wanting that uh, product in order to integrate with their spreadsheets that they had or their other account information. And when you're understanding the bigger picture of what your product fits into and helping your customer do their thing in life or business, mm-hmm. now you're really understanding that journey. You've mm. got to have context. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because otherwise, yeah, you're skipping that opportunity. I'm just thinking with um, service-based businesses how they might achieve that. I, I have heard of people bringing customers into, you know, a committee make decisions and things Mm. like that but I really like that process of observing I think for me I used to be a product manager that really comes from a product testing background in my mind it's almost like a consumer model you know and it'd be good to adjust that right on a service if you're a hairdresser maybe you're not observing yourself but you have you hire someone else a friend or whoever to do the observing and notice the the uh, body language of the customer throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And um, and then later ask the customer, you know, I noticed that you seem to feel a little uncomfortable about this this point or that point. Uh, can you tell me what you were wanting more of or wanting less of at that time? And uh, notice the body language otherwise uh, whenever things were going well. Um, 
I'm a consultant where I actually mentor executives on um, how to improve the customer experience. It'd be hard for me to observe myself doing that. Um, but there are certain things that I could do in uh, getting permission to report um, certain interactions that we have uh, and allowing um, another a third party to give me advice based on what they're observing in body language and uh, voice cues and things like that for myself as well as my client. And if you think about 90% of uh, human communication is not verbal, it really underscores the uh, weakness that we have in relying only on written surveys to get customer feedback, which is crazy. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. So say we, we find a method that works for us that actually engages the customer's you know, direct feedback, whatever that is. Then, mm-hmm. then how do we act on that? Because I think sometimes it sort of stops there for a lot of people, that they get the information. Yeah. Like, what, what do we do with it? How do we actually well, there's uh, so many things you can do with customer data. And, um, you know, in my benchmarking study, when I was doing the correlations of who had better business results and what were they doing, this was one of the top five things that came up. If you are actually using your customer data uh, that comes out of a survey or whatever feedback you're getting to proactively make improvements, then you're going to be better off in your business results. If you're sharing that data with everybody in your company instead of just yourself or your, you know, the management team, uh, you're going to be better off by sharing it with everybody. If you're expecting the people who um, have weaknesses to make improvements, you're going to be better off. If you actually expect everyone to make improvements, whether they were weak or strong, you're going to be better off. If you use the customer data as a determinant of your customer strategy or your company strategy, even more importantly, mm-hmm. remember how I started back in 89 in the strategic planning department? They were onto something way back then that if you actually use it, use it as an input to as many things as possible in designing your strategy for how you're going to um, deal with pricing and products and customers and employees and all these things in your business, uh, you're better off. So what I've seen and done tremendously uh, or extensively with uh, customer survey data is we've cut the data to um, reflect the, the recipients of it. So this is more maybe applicable to a larger business or a mid-sized business where you have different departments and you have maybe different uh, sales offices and things like that. It's better to cut the data so that every department and every product line or every uh, sales office has their own cut of the data. The reason is there's always finger pointing. So you know that this group of customers that isn't happy about something? Not my fault. It's got to be those other guys that don't have their act together. So that's one of the real keys. The yeah, second thing, and uh, if you're in a real small business, just be very transparent and open with all of your all of your data. Share it with everybody and say we own this together as a team. Company as a team. Um, second thing is to conduct a workshop where the first part is to. Uh, come to an agreement about the interpretation of the data. What's significant? What are the top weaknesses? What are the top strengths? Uh, let's look at the comments. You would not believe any size of company uh, that I come across often kind of skip the comments. 
when they're presenting data uh, from a survey. And it's really a shame because we think about 90% of communication is uh, not even verbal. Well, good grief, they're, they're even skipping the part that is verbal. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of times the reason why customer comments get skipped is because it becomes kind of tedious to read through them all. What I've done is when I hold these workshops, I uh, create sub-teams in the workshop where we say, all right, so these are the three hot buttons or the two key areas where we need to improve. Uh, each of the sub-teams are going to focus on one and read through the comments that are relevant to that. Take the time that you need to do that. Come up with what are the key themes in the customer's words. All right, so the customer's saying that this and this and this and this, you know, is a, a headache for them. And you might distill that to, say, uh, three to five um, themes that are going on with that topic. And now what you need to lead the team in doing is root cause analysis. Why is that happening? Why do customers feel that, you know, this is an issue? And why is that, why is that happening? And why is that happening? You just ask why five times. So the five whys is a handy tool to get at the root. It's just like if you're gardening, you pull the weed and it's just the bloom. The leaves are still there from the weed. So it's going to bloom right back, right? Mm. You've got to bite down and get the weeds roots out. So this is a what we call root cause analysis. And when you've identified the root issues of why those things are happening, now you need to tell your team in the workshop, let's create an action plan to address those root issues. So what we're trying to do is two things. We want to solve this problem, and two, we want to prevent it from recurring again. Mm. That's what you do when you weed a garden, so that they don't recur again. So um, when you create the action plan, you might not have it perfect that very day, but if there are some team leaders, some managers over these areas, they need to sign off on that. They need to get a physical signature to say, yes, I support that. And the, the final part about this workshop is to identify how you're going to track the progress of those action plans. This is an often overlooked step, and it uh, is a huge weakness in accountability and momentum customer mm -hmm. experience. So if you figure out, hey, we have a, a deli on-time delivery issue. We're not on time ever. We always say something and then it's always late. Okay, so the reasons why we realize that we've got you know, broken process in X, X area, and now we're going to try to fix that with these actions. So now how are we going to track the progress of fixing those actions? Okay, not, I'm not talking about tracking your on-time delivery. I'm talking about mm -hmm. tracking the progress of the plan. So um, as you're seeing that that root issue is rearing its head less or that you've um, completed those, um, those corrections that were needed to, to uh, repair that root issue that was broken, now you should be able to see a predictive correlation with your on-time delivery, right? Mm -hmm. And following that, you should be able to see a predictive correlation with how happy your customers are with on-time delivery. And from that, you should be able to see a predictive correlation with customers are saying better things about you or more less negative things, more positive. 
in the whole scheme of things and buying more. Now, you might say, well, that's a big stretch to have all of those correlations. Well, yeah, that's why you have to do correlation analysis at the outset of your data to see that you're focusing on the real hot buttons. Because mm, you could see how you could go off on a tangent and not hit, hit the right mark. Do you see, especially with working with executive teams, and I certainly feel this head swell around customer service and customer service management and the visibility to the customer becoming more um, accentuated, I guess, because people understand that it does equate to, at the end of the day, a more profitable company, you know, preference being formed. And, and I think even because customers have more ways to communicate about their dissatisfaction, it's something that they need to manage. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and you know, do you see um, that emerging more in, in terms of a leadership position? Well, um, I think I'm hearing you say use the word uh, customer service, and customer service is ab absolutely important. In fact, I think that it needs to be totally shifted in the way that companies of any size um, compensate and prioritize customer service um, because this is your customer retention arm, right? Mm -hmm. When they come to you because they're they don't understand something, they need to to get help of whatever type. Um, this is one of those pivotal points where customers could decide, you know what, forget it. It's just too much of a hassle. They don't get me. It's not a good fit for me. And always going to buy from someone else from here on out. Yeah. Wow. Why don't we pay those people a lot more relative to our salespeople who are usually very well compensated and very get a lot of clout in the company? Um, it just doesn't make any sense. But another point I'd like to make about customer service, if you're defining your customer experience management as customer service focused, well, or customer service as a scope, that's too late, too little, too late. And the reason being, um, when I buy something, I hope I never have to call somebody I just want to use the thing in my life and get on with it. Mm. So the real definition of customer experience management is much more in the product development, product delivery, uh, the marketing, getting your messaging correct so that you manage expectations correctly, your documentation so all of that is clear to customers. They don't have to call or write or, or go to, to some kind of service. Um, Okay, what if you're an auto repair company? Well, that is a service. Well, the same thing goes there, that you've just got to do it right the first time. If they're coming to you for a service, you got to do it right the first time. Now, service organizations have kind of figured that out, where they have this uh, right the first time type of metric. Mm -hmm. uh, what do they call it? Oh, fix first the right time. First, time, first call first, resolution. Yeah, yeah. First contact resolution. Yeah. Um, but again, if that's all your customer experience strategy is, it's too little too late because you've got to prevent the need for the service as much as possible. And when service does happen, then absolutely first contact resolution is the idea. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. I wanted to talk, and you touched about it just then, about the internal branding and the values 
and the behaviour that a corporation has because I think that affects, you know, why customers like them and, and that whole... Um, and it does tap in to that experience in terms of it being managed. Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of the setup of the values and how that influences the brand and therefore the customer experience? Well, yeah, it's really everything because your service people, your sales people are only going to be as effective as the rest of the company allows them to be. That means that if you have screwed up policies or processes or you know, anything that isn't going to, to prevent poor customer experiences in the first place, then there's going to be an, an ultimate ripple effect to the salespeople and the, the service people, whoever's on the front line, or even your automated touch points. You can't really expect that your touch points and making sure that everyone knows how to be super friendly and everyone knows how to, you know, be completely on time and, uh, and practice what they preach or, you know, deliver what they promise, and that that, that is going to be 100% successful for your business. Because um, the customer experience is really about the mindset of your entire company being customer-focused. So you're making promises either through verbal conversations, your salespeople, your service people, or trade shows, or maybe ads or your website, anything that is conveying an expectation to a customer is a promise of your brand. So the real key is to live the brand promise. If you're living your brand promise, then you're managing expectations. So customer experience isn't necessarily about having the most luxurious, friendly uh, product or service. Mm -hmm. It's more about um, having that consistency that builds trust um, across the entire brand promise as the customer perceives it. Um, some customer perceptions are actually generated not by what you um, put on your website or it comes out of your mouth, um, but some customer expectations are generated by either your competitors, what they're doing, or maybe similar experiences. For example, you know this company, National Cash Register, NCR, you go to an ATM machine at the bank, automatic teller machine, you usually see that brand NCR as the, the uh, company for that. Well, I interviewed uh, one of their executives, and they said that they did some in-depth interviews with people that were managing those automated, automated teller machines in the bank branches. And sometimes... Um, it was quite interesting because in those interviews, the person that they were talking to was giving an example of when I go to the salon, the hair salon, um, you know, this and this happens and I kind of expect the service that I get from you to be um, of a timely nature like that. And they were thinking, wow, we make automated teller machines and here these people are kind of expecting stuff from us based on going to the beauty salon. So... We have to realize that whether we're selling to businesses or to consumers, whatever their other situations are that they have as customers may uh, create uh, expectations. So I think your main question was, what is internal branding? Internal branding is getting a handle on 
what your customers are expecting from you because of your brand promise. What do they perceive it to be? And then making sure that all of your employees, whether they're the person that sweeps the floor, cleans the bathrooms, person that uh, uh, is on the shipping dock, or whatever it might be, they all understand what their part is in delivering the brand promise. And we all know that even those mundane uh, seeming jobs, if they're done terribly, can have a horrible uh, effect on customer experience of any product or service. So there's really nothing too small to um, to include in your strategy. That's why it needs to be company-wide. And also include your suppliers and your alliance partners, not just your employees. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, I was thinking also about, say, um, say that that's a company-wide mindset. And so you're doing a pretty good job of... Um, managing the expectations for the customer with your touch points. How do you take it to that next level of innovation? Well, the next level of innovation was described in this book called Blue Ocean Strategy. I just love it because it talks about looking at your competition in terms of the way customers see it, not the way that you see it. And typically we'll think, okay, say going to Disneyland, Disneyland, you would think maybe the competitors are Knott's Berry Farm or Universal Studios, the other um, theme parks where you can go on rides and things like that. But in reality, if I'm going to take my family to Disneyland, I could alternatively take them to the beach or, or I could take them to, uh, you know, the Hollywood Studios or I could take them to, you know, any number of things that are nearby or even I should just say, you know, close to my house is to do a stay vacation instead of going there down there. So from that perspective, now if Disney is thinking about what are my customers' choices, they can choose Knott's Berry Farm or they can choose the beach or they could choose, you know, whatever. It, maybe you're thinking, well, this opens it up way too broadly but now you have different avenues to think about in terms of here here's what's really going in my going on in my customer's mind this now can help you uh, get your messaging more clear it can help you uh, figure out different alternatives to your pricing it can help you segment your product to different uh, levels of sophistication maybe a light a light version a sophisticated version this kind of thing um, so you can have all kinds of innovations. Innovations aren't just in a new and new and improved product or service. Innovations can be a different business model that allows people who weren't able to get your thing before, get your value before, to now uh, be able to afford it or access it. Uh, there's all kinds of innovations that are brought to the surface when you follow what's called the blue ocean strategy, which is essentially looking at the competition in the way that the, your, your customers see it. Yeah, it's nice to take a totally different approach, a fresh approach to perhaps, um, perhaps you know, what you're dealing with. And I, that's why, yeah, it's a great book, actually. When you, why would people start doing this you know it seems like kind of a hassle like they're already doing the darn job they've already been downsized right yeah um they don't have any more time to try to add this customer experience stuff or this internal branding stuff well here's the real reason number one 
the whole reason why you have a paycheck is because your customers are buying your stuff from you. Yeah. Right? So what should you be more grateful to than that? Exactly. <laughs> Surely that is the motivation. We all realize that when we get a new boss, we need to kind of figure out, um, okay, that's their hot buttons. They're, you know, this is what turns them on. This is what turns them off. I'm going to kind of cater to that because you want to gain favor with your boss, right? They're paying, they're, they're in charge of your promotions or your performance reviews and, you know, what assignments you get. Yeah. But who's your real boss? Your real boss is the customer. So it's just a dark, dirty shame that we um, kind of look down our nose at customers or think that they're an extra burden. Um, like I said, it really should be the input to our corporate strategies. And um, second reason is the innovation. Everybody wants to be differentiated. And uh, eventually you can't really differentiate on the product. Uh, every industry actually reaches a point where the the difference between brand A and brand B from two different companies doesn't really have that much difference. And there's only so much you can do with price. It becomes kind of like a commodity. You get kind of stuck in that. However, if you are thinking about this blue ocean thing, right, if you're really in tune with who your customers are and you're looking at um, the different ways that you can um, be in tune with them in your product, your services, your Policies, this is such an overlooked area. Your policies can even be a huge area of differentiation. Um, now, this is the second reason why you should be customer focused. And they're both quite compelling, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was just telling a friend, maybe I'm in tune with this at the moment, but I went out for my friend's 40th birthday and it was to a well known restaurant in, in Melbourne. and. Um, I had expectations because this guy was, you know, on the tally and I thought, well, he's probably not going to be there, but, you know. <laughs> and um, towards it, the food was nice and the, and the service was okay. It, it was fine, but it was nothing out of the ordinary. And I went over to one of the head waiters at one point, we're about to order our dessert, and I just said, look, you know, my girlfriend's 40. It would be really nice if, if we could get a special dessert for her. Maybe you could write something on the plate. I know that they do that. And he said, yeah, sure, sure, no problem. And the other desserts came out and hers hadn't come out and I thought, mm, you know, I wonder if they're going to do this. And then I sort of waited and I thought, well, I won't say anything because everyone else has finished. And they didn't actually bring anything out. So I, I was a bit annoyed because I thought, well, one is he said that he was going to do it. So if he had said, look, we're too busy, I would have understood. But to set that expectation and not carry through on it, was such a disappointment you know I, I wished almost I hadn't asked <laughs> because I set them up but yeah you know I think that there's going to be uh, eventually some kind of huge awakening because I, I notice that our society is becoming less and less accountable you know and less and less um, cognizant of kindness and things like that when you have social media where you can uh, give your rating on things or, you know, uh, people put a picture up on the on any kind of uh, website and say, you know, here's our competitors, uh, you know, it's a sports team or something. This, this really happened here in the U.S. Here's our competitors, cheerleaders. Can you believe it? And then people wrote really 
unkind things, really lots of unkind things on there. Yeah. It's because the, the cheerleader, what, you know, had a, like a hat on because uh, it was cold in that area, you know? And I just think that people don't think these days about what coming out of their mouth, whether it's in writing or, you know, a request like you have at the restaurant, it's just becoming blurred. And luckily it's not, you know, everywhere, but I see it creeping in much more all the time. And then customers are actually more demanding at the same time. So maybe, maybe everything's going to go to a hell hell in the handbasket. (laughs) Maybe on the flip side, the customer experience is going to be the uh, pressure that brings us all to our senses with this other stuff. I don't know. I don't know either, but there's certainly a big opportunity because there's still a lot that could go right. I mean, that opportunity was was there, it was presented. I've been to yeah. restaurants where they've done it off their own back. Right. So what's well, the know, big difference, isn't there? People think that customer experience is something new, and it's really not. Um, the customer experience existed 100 years ago. We just didn't, we weren't cognizant of its, its characteristics. Um, it existed 30 years ago, 20 years ago, when I you know, got into this field. We weren't cognizant of all of its characteristics. We thought, okay, we do like a satisfaction survey about the product and the service and the price. And, the, and um, well, now if you actually compare what companies are surveying, it's almost the exact same thing, product, service, and price, or else they'll just say one thing. Would you recommend us? Well, gee whiz, how self-centered is that? Um, why don't you ask something that's customer-centered, like, um, did we help you meet your objective? Right? Yeah, exactly. Somebody help me meet my objective. I'm going to recommend them. For example, there's this cold medicine. that every uh, It's a preventer, right? So you, you spray it. It's called Zycam. You put a couple sprays in your mouth just when you're starting to feel a little bit sneezy, and lo and behold, you don't get a cold. Right. That company actually owes me lots of royalties for how much I have promoted them. <laughs> <laughs> but but if yeah, it works, I kind of kicked off. They asked me a question on a survey: uh, How likely would you be to recommend this? I'm like, well, yeah, I recommend you all the time, but actually, you should be asking me um, how well did we meet your need? Yeah. Excellently, you know, <laughs> I can't say enough good things about them. And that's that. That's what kind of kills me is. The way we survey our customers is still self-serving. The way we serve our customers is still self-serving. It's it's really me-centric and customer-centric. Yeah, you're so right. Oh, thanks, Lynn. Um... Hey, thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast. For more great marketing tips, go to Dan's blog at www.daniellemcginnis.com and sign up for her marketing tips or visit her website at www.mcginnismarketing.com.au. Catch you next time.